0: We're talking about the coming king, the events leading up to the birth of Jesus and immediately kind of right in the middle of that. And we knew that the people of Israel, they had been looking for a Messiah, right? They'd been looking for this Messiah for years and years and years, hundreds, if not thousands of years. There was, there was prophecies that were foretold about this Messiah that would come and they didn't exactly know what it would look like, but everybody was waiting for this Messiah. And so what we're going to look at in this series is how Jesus didn't exactly fit the mold of the king and the Messiah that they thought that he was going to be, right? They didn't think he was going to be a servant. They didn't think he was going to come as a baby, right? Just like a humble baby in a manger. They didn't think that that's how it was going to be. They thought it was going to be some big, massive show, right? Some big thing and, 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 and maybe not a, uh, a friend of sinners, right? And that's what Jesus was. They thought he was going to come lead this big military revolution. And maybe Jesus didn't exactly do that. But we know that he is not an earthly king, but he is the king of the universe. Amen. And he's the king of our hearts. He's the king of our lives. And that's how we know our King Jesus. So uh, today I want to talk to you a little bit about the story of actually a song that we sang. It it kind of inspired this message when I found out that that they were going to be singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I started to kind of look in into the history of that song, and man, I mean, the Lord just started speaking to me through that, and we're going to look at the story that that song is actually about. So, I want to give you a little backstory on "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." It's one of the most popular. Christmas carols that we sing today, right? You'll hear it all over the radio. You'll hear it all over the place. Uh, it was written by Charles Wesley, which is actually the brother of John Wesley, who started kind of the Methodist movement. Okay, so it's really interesting. Both of those brothers had a really, really big role in that movement, but Charles was the one that wrote many, many, many hymns. And he wrote it. It was found in a collection of hymns in 1739 for the very first time. And now it's all over the radio during the Christmas season. How many of you guys uh, love listening to Christmas music? You put it on your radio. Is that you? Like you're just constantly listening to it. My wife is a Christmas fanatic. She loves listening to Christmas music. She was one of those people that had the Christmas tree up super early. She said, Trev, we got to get this thing up. And I'm like, babe, I just don't know about that. Like it's, it's, it's still really early. She was like, Trev, we got to buy some lights. We just bought a house, our very first house. We've been married for four and a half years now. And we finally got a house. We were renting the whole time and, and so, everyone in Plum Creek, they just they just go so hard at Christmas, y'all. Like, have you driven through Plum Creek during Christmas and, and honestly, any other holiday? It's crazy. They decorate so much. And Lindsay loves Christmas so much. She's like, listen, we are not going to be those people that do not have Christmas lights. So, you go out there and you buy some lights and you put them up right now. I was like, I only have a six-foot ladder. Like, I, I don't even have a ladder yet. So, I'm getting a ladder for Christmas, guys. Seriously, that's what, I mean, kid you not, that's what she's getting me for Christmas. So, uh, but... She loves Christmas and Christmas music. And you'll find this song in the classic Christmas films, It's a Wonderful Life and a Charlie Brown Christmas. That Hark uh, the Herald Angels Sing is found in both of those. And I know you might be Christmas music people. How many of you are like classic Christmas movie people? Because that's, that's me. I like the Christmas music. It's okay. I love the classic Christmas movies. Uh, Lindsay, on the other hand, once again, something that we're a little different in. She is the Hallmark Christmas movie lady, all right? How many of you ladies are out there that love your Hallmark Christmas movies? Okay, I see a few of you out there. What's up, what's up? Y'all love a good love story especially when snow was involved, okay? you know. So uh, if it's in the mountains and there's snow and it's Christmas, you know it's gonna be heartwarming, you know? Uh, Honestly, I'll watch them with her, but I'm a huge fan of those old ones. And so you find that song in there as well. But did you know that the song is actually a lot different than when it was very first written? Some of the words are different and actually the tune is completely different than when it was first written. So the first line of the hymn originally read, Hark, how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. If you're like, welkin what? (laughs) Like, I don't know what that means. It's because it's not a word we would normally use. It's an old English word that means vault of heaven, which basically references the vault of heaven that opened up when the angels came and told the shepherds, and so, in 1753, George Whitfield was a famous English preacher and he rewrote the first line of the carol into the modern version that we know today, which is Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And this, of course, is how we sing it today, but the music is actually really different too. Originally, and you might not understand this or get this, you kind of have to picture it in your head, but it was like a very dull and boring tune, it was just not exciting at all. And so it was not a very popular song for a long time. Actually, it wasn't until 1856 that the music got changed. And that's when it started to be popular when it got to that happy, you know, hark the herald angel. You imagine it before it was like, hark the herald ruled you like, what does that even mean? You know? And so uh, it was super boring and then it got real exciting. and So people started to sing it more and more. But the reason that I really was drawn to this, and the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because it's referencing the story of when the angels came to tell the shepherds that the Messiah, Jesus, had been born in Bethlehem. And so today, I wanna to look at the scripture where these angels do come and tell the shepherds. It's in Luke 2, 8 through 20. If you wanna look that up in your Bible, it'll also be on the screen. It's Luke 2, 8 through 20. And let's read it. there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. Lord Jesus, I just ask right now that you would give me the grace to tell this story in the best way that I can. And and that it would not be my words, but your words, Lord, that you would bless our time together. And that we know that your word does not return void. So we ask that your spirit would move through us right now and and teach us a new word that we maybe have never heard before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the shepherds were the very first people to hear that the Savior, the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting on for years, was born. Isn't it interesting, right, That, that, that the angels and that God chooses to reveal this to some shepherds, right? It wasn't announced to some royalty. It wasn't announced to, you know, somebody that had a lot of influence, somebody that was maybe a politician or something like that. It wasn't announced to any of those kinds of people, but it was actually announced to the shepherds. I mean, we've been waiting thousands of years, at least hundreds of years for sure with all these different prophecies. We know that there's this Messiah coming and God, you have these big plans for the world. You're gonna save the world. You're gonna send your son, Jesus. And you know, and they knew that there was a Messiah coming, but you're gonna reveal these big plans to some shepherds? Like just some random dudes out in the field? Like you couldn't have found anybody better. Why not the religious leaders, right? Like why not... The pastors of the day, wouldn't that make more sense to reveal it to those people who, who actually really knew the scriptures really, really well, or maybe like an Instagram influencer that has like a lot of followers, you know, like they can like post it out and tweet it out and be like, or like a professional athlete or something. They tweet it out and say, hey, yo, I just met Jesus. You know, the angels came. It was crazy, you know, and they like, everybody knows about it immediately. No, that's not how God chose to do it. And more often than not, God chooses to do things differently than we would. And kind of the main point of the message today, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write some stuff down today. There's gonna be some good stuff that I feel like we all need to remember this Christmas season. And the main point of this message is that God uses extraordinary people, or ordinary people, excuse me, to spread his extraordinary message. God uses ordinary people to spread his extraordinary message. And God has done this since the beginning of time. Since the very beginning, you look all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and you see that this is what God did. And we're going to look at a few of those people today and the things that maybe they thought, the things that they felt, uh, and maybe the people that you might not have expected that God would have used to carry his message or to carry out his will in the world, the ones that God entrusted with his precious message. And we're going to look at how you also might be able to relate to those people and how you can carry important message of Jesus in your everyday life. So if I had to have a subtitle, all right, for this message, which I do, if I had to have a subtitle, I don't normally like subtitles, but this is what I'm doing. The title of my message is Ordinary People, Extraordinary Message, and the subtitle is Four Excuses for Not Sharing Your Faith. Four excuses for not sharing your faith. We have so many excuses that we make as Christ followers for not telling people about Jesus or not inviting somebody to church. There's things that hold us back for various different reasons. And there's things that we say to ourselves, maybe internally. Sometimes maybe we say these things actually out loud, but more often than not, I think we, we think these things more than we say them to people. And so We're going to look at four of these things today, and I believe that God is going to absolutely, it convicted me as I was even writing this message, preparing this message, uh, and I hope that it does a little bit with you as well and encourages you to share your faith with others throughout this Christmas season. So the first one is, if you're taking notes, write down, I don't know what to say. Have you ever thought that before? When you're trying to share your faith with somebody or you've thought, you know, I I, want to tell people about Jesus. You know, I I know that it's commanded. I know that, that God has done some amazing things in my life and I would love to tell my friends or my family or whatever it might be, but I just don't know what to say. You know, like I don't have the right words and maybe I'm not like that great with public speaking. You know, I'm not like somebody that gets on the stage and preaches with the microphone or anything like that. I just don't have the words to say. You know what that reminds me a lot of? That reminds me a lot of Moses, right? Moses was very, very, very much like that. He actually said, I don't really know what to say. So let's look at Exodus 4, 10 through 13. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. What is he saying? He's saying, God, God, uh, I don't really know how to talk that good. (laughs) I, I ain't ever been one of those people that can talk real good Lord. You know, that's not me. I'm not the one that gets up on stage and, and and talks in front of people. And God was asking him, if you know the story, he he goes to this burning bush and the presence of the Lord is there. And it's, it's amazing. And God starts to talk to him saying, you know what, you're going to be the one that I'm going to send to Egypt to go get the Hebrew people out of captivity. And Moses is like, say what? You know, like I, I'm not going to be good at this, Lord. You know that I'm not a public speaker. I'm not very eloquent. I've always been kind of slow with my words. And so why are you asking me to do this? And let's move on in this. In verse 11, it says, "'The Lord said to him, "'Who gave human beings their mouths? "'Who makes them deaf or mute? "'Who gives them sight or makes them blind? "'Is it not I, the Lord? "'Now go, I will help you speak "'and will teach you what to say.'" But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Please send somebody else. I don't know the words to say. God, I mean, I, I know that you've you've given me these, these words that you've told me to, to, to tell Pharaoh, but, but I don't know, I'm going to mess it up. There's no way that I can really make a difference. You know, Pharaoh's just going to laugh at me. You know, I'm going to maybe stutter or whatever it might be. Actually, a lot of scholars think that Moses potentially could have had a speech impediment. Uh, He could have had a stutter of some sort. And so Moses is saying, why in the world would you choose me to take this important message out? God, this doesn't make any sense. And this actually reveals his heart when he says, please send somebody else. Because he was so afraid of saying the wrong things that he would rather just say, nothing, right? No thing. He doesn't want to say anything, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you're so afraid to say the wrong thing that you just like clam up and say absolutely nothing? I promise that you have, especially gentlemen. Let me tell you why. Has your wife ever said, how do I look in this dress? Uh, (laughs) You know, no matter what you say, you might be terrified because if you say, check this out, you know how it is. If you say, uh, baby, you just look absolutely beautiful right now. You look so good. What does she say? You're a liar. You're just saying that because I asked you, you know what I mean? You don't actually think that. I don't look good. I'm just, I'm going to go change, you know? You don't know what to say. But then what if you say the opposite thing? Like, uh, well, baby, you know, it's been quarantining. You know, you've gained maybe about five to 10 pounds. You know what I mean? I don't know. Then you're in real big trouble, dude. It's like, don't you ever say that. But you kind of feel like, yeah, I don't know. if. What do I say here? And so what ends up coming out is, ah, uh, <clears throat> Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, like you just don't say anything because you don't really know what to say. And I guarantee you that you've been in that situation before at some point in your life. Maybe you're just not sure what to say. So you'd rather just stay out of it. You'd rather just say nothing. You'd rather not deal with the conflict. You'd rather not deal with whatever's going on. But you know what Moses ended up doing? Moses showed up. Moses obeyed the word of God. He obeyed what God told him to do. He went to those people. He took the staff that God had given him and he did some incredible miracles and freed the Hebrew people. The Red Sea was split and they were able to walk through and it says in the word that God brought down the waters on top of the Egyptians behind them and at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, they think, were freed from captivity all because Moses didn't know what to say, but yet he still obeyed what God told him to do. And he showed up and watched God do what only he could do. So when you don't know what to say, when you're thinking, I I don't know enough of my Bible, I don't really know what to say. God, what am I supposed to do in that moment? You just have to show up, and God will give you the words. Have you ever been talking to somebody and encouraging somebody, or giving them a word of advice, whatever it might be, and you think, man, I don't, I didn't realize that I knew that. You know, like this, this is not me talking right now. And you kind of maybe sometimes have felt that before, like, man, is this, this was that was God that said that. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll say something that wasn't in my notes, and then I go back and I try to remember what I said, and I have no idea what I said. Right, and somebody will be like, man, that point or that thing that you said really impacted me and I'm like I said that I honestly don't remember that (laughs) I had no idea that I said it and that is God because when you get into the moment If you will just say yes in the moment to say yes to what God wants you to do and be obedient, he will give you the words to say when you get to your family member, when you get to your friend, when you go to work, when you're at the store, God will give you the words to encourage somebody and to help you share your faith. If you will just step out in faith, watch God be God and he will do what only he can do. So that's the first excuse. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. The second one is, if you're taking notes, write it down. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I don't know enough. I don't have a theology degree like you. I, you know, I honestly, I, I barely understand the Bible myself. Yeah, you know, I'm still working through a lot of my stuff and and working through, you know, what I know about the Bible. And I'm still trying to learn. I, I just don't know enough. That makes more sense for for you guys to handle that stuff, right? The pastors, the people that have been trained like you guys take care of this, okay? Uh you know what, you sound a lot like and you know, I've even thought this at some point too. Honestly, I think we're all guilty of all these things, all right? That sounds a lot like the disciples, right? The disciples. Why? Because they were young. These guys were not very old at all. Actually, scholars believe that they were anywhere between the ages of 16 and 25. A lot of people maybe think the disciples were a lot older. They were not. Maybe one or two of them might have been, but most of them were young men. They were average guys too. They had regular jobs. Most of them were either fishermen. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. They could have been you know, a, a stonemason. They could have been a carpenter. There's a few that we don't really know how they got involved or where they came from, but what we do know is that none of them were formally trained in the Hebrew Bible? None of them were. They weren't necessarily good enough to be the pastors or the religious leaders of the day, and that's kind of how they gauged you. All of the young boys, they would all go through training in the Torah. They would all go through this training of the Hebrew Bible, uh, and then the ones that kind of stood out and the cream of the crop, they would go study under a rabbi. Then they would eventually become a rabbi themselves, be a, you know a Pharisee, a Sadducee, whatever it might be. They had these different groups of religious leaders, but these guys were obviously. Not the dudes that did that, okay? They were fishermen. They were just average people. They weren't formally trained. They didn't have a theology degree, but yet Jesus chose them. Jesus chose those guys. You know what I love is the show The Chosen. Have any of y'all seen that show, The Chosen? It's awesome. If you have not watched the series, The Chosen, it's a, a TV show that they basically did all about the life of Jesus and the disciples. It's the first of its kind. They've never had an actual like multi-season uh, series about the life of Jesus. And so they start out basically looking at Simon Peter uh, and in kind of a little bit about his life and where, where he's at. And I love the show so much Uh, because it shows that they are human, right? There's so many things in the Bible that we know that that wasn't able to be recorded. Actually, in, in John, he says at the very end of John, it says that, There might even, there's so many things that Jesus did that they couldn't even fill all the books in the world. Like, there's not even enough books to contain all the things that Jesus did. So, these stories that we get are kind of just snapshots of different events that happened. But how many of you know Jesus's ministry was three years long? They had some days where they were just like hanging out, you know? Like, they had families and they had friends and they had things that they did and they walked around and they had conversations with each other and conversations with Jesus that were not necessarily recorded because the, the big things were in, ended up being recorded. But I love the show, The Chosen, because they talk about these human uh, things that they thought, the human things that they did, They make them very, very like you and me. And they take a little bit of liberty in some of the personalities and some of these conversations that they do, but I love it, why? Because it shows they are just like you. It shows that they're just like me. They were just normal people living their lives when Jesus called them out of whatever it is they were doing and said, Will you come and follow me? I'll make you a fisher of men. And so uh, I love that show and I really encourage you to go watch it. It's all free, they have an app and everything. And it's the number one crowdfunded project that has ever been made. And I'm not talking about in Christian crowdfunded projects, like in secular and in, in any crowdfunded project that's ever been made, The Chosen is the number one. Why? because people are buying into what's happening in that show because it's really helping people connect with each character. We think of these guys as just characters, right? These were real, real men that lived in the time of Jesus. And so I love this. It shows that they're human because in the American church, what have we done? We've professionalized ministry, right? We've professionalized church And many people think that in order for someone to find Jesus, they have to be at a church being preached at by the celebrity pastor and wooed by the fancy lights and the music, the donuts, the coffee, all that stuff. And listen, that couldn't be farther from the truth. I think that is very far from the truth. And the disciples are a prime example of this because Jesus left the most important message in the entire world in the hands of common people. What does that tell me? That people don't need a pastor, they need you. They don't need a pastor, they don't need me, they need you to tell them about Jesus. I can't walk beside everybody in this room and personally disciple you one-on-one, right? I can't teach you about Jesus personally, necessarily be a part of your everyday life, encourage you on a regular basis. I'm only one man, I'm only one person I won't be at all your family get togethers with your crazy uncles. You know, I talked about them last week on Church Online. Listen, if you don't have a crazy uncle, you probably are. Okay, I swear, like you are that person, all right? But I can't be there because he needs Jesus. You know, like he is crazy, right? He needs the Lord. And I can't be there to maybe share my faith with him. I won't be at your kids' baseball games with the coach that's an alcoholic that is far from God that needs Jesus. But you know who's at that baseball game? You are. You know who's at those family get-togethers? You are. You know who's at your workplace? Not me. I ain't coming to work for you. But you're there and you can tell your workplace about Jesus and you can have those relationships. Listen, the world doesn't need more professional ministers. It needs more devoted disciples. That's what this world needs. We don't need more programs, people. We need more We don't need more ministries. We need more miracles. That's what we need. And God doesn't need a celebrity pastor. God just needs somebody that will say yes to carrying his message wherever they go and will be obedient to what God has told them to do. And that is what changes the world for Jesus. Not by me, not by this small few pastors that are trying to reach all the people. It's by the people, you, the church stepping up and saying yes to what God is doing, saying yes to carrying his message at work, at home, at school, at gym, and the store, and wherever you go. Whenever we leave the responsibility of evangelism in the hands of a few, we will miss out on the salvation of many. I'm gonna say that again. I want that to sink in. That's a really, really big deal. When we leave the responsibility of evangelism in the hands of a few, We will miss out on the salvation of many. Why? Because this isn't like LeBron James, like putting his team on his back and going and winning the championship, scoring 40 points a game, you know, like that's not, I'm not LeBron here and you guys aren't just like the bench players, all right? This is a team sport, people. We're in this thing together. We're all playing our role and the, the, the places that you go and the people that you meet, listen, I might not ever meet them, but you know them, right? I can't influence them, but you can influence them. And this is a team sport that we're involved in. We all have to work together so listen I'm not LeBron James he'd probably tower over me he would beat me up people all right that dude is crazy right but I'm not him all right I'm not putting people on my back and this isn't my responsibility to save all of the city of Kyle and of Hayes County you know what Jesus has given all of us that responsibility the Bible says that we are a priesthood of believers what does that mean that you're a priest right even though you don't have a theology degree maybe maybe you do right but but you are a priest in this town in this city and so uh the third one today is, I don't even have my life together. Have you ever thought that before? It's like, I'm trying to share my faith with somebody, but I don't have my life together. I don't even have my stuff going on right now. So like, how am I supposed to help somebody else? Maybe I have too much of a past. There's, there's things in my life that I've done. I just don't know if, if God can really honestly use me. If this is the attitude that you take, you will never lead somebody to Jesus, right? You'll never lead somebody to Jesus. Why? Because we are all always working through our stuff, all right? We always have something that we're having to work through. And you know who this might sound a little bit like to me is Paul. It sounds a lot like Paul. Paul was formerly known as Saul, all right? He was a Pharisee, a religious leader, who actually persecuted and approved of the killing of Christians. Now, Paul lived probably during the time of Jesus, but he kind of came after Jesus had already left. And so the disciples, the apostles were still alive and they were still spreading the word and, and Saul, this man who was a Pharisee, right? A religious leader approved of the killing of many of these people. Why? Because he didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was the son of God. He thought it was a blasphemy, just like all the other religious uh, Jews did. And that's why they ended up killing Jesus in the first place. And so Saul has this amazing transformation where Jesus actually shows up to him in person. Jesus shows up to him. Now, this is after he had already been gone for a while now. He shows up and basically says, Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? Listen, I have so much more for you. And now instead of you persecuting me and my people, I'm going to flip this thing around. And now you are going to go out and help people find me. And so he has this incredible transformation. And so if anything, that should encourage you and encourage me that if you have a past and you have things in your life that you're not proud of, right? Things that you've done that you're like, this might invalidate me from making a difference. This might invalidate me from helping somebody else. God can use that past to help others find freedom. He can use your pain to help people get out of the prisons that they are in. Even Paul in Romans 7 said that he still kind of struggled with sin a little bit. He still had some issues. He said, the things that I want to do The things that honor God, the good things, I'm trying to honor God. You know, we're all trying to honor God in our lives, right? Those things that I want to do, I don't do them. It is tough. It's frustrating. The things that I don't want to do, the things that don't honor God, the thoughts that I don't want to have, I end up having those thoughts and I do those things and it's so frustrating. You see this internal struggle between his sinful nature and living as a new creature in Christ and he's struggling with that stuff. And does that sound familiar in your life? I think it should. I think it does. Because all Christians, we struggle with sin on a daily basis. And what Paul is describing seems to fit our experience perfectly, at least in my opinion. And it's comforting to know that even Paul struggled in the battle against sin. He struggled with some thoughts and he struggled with some things and he was frustrated by it. But here's the deal. I love this. I saw this the other day. I don't know, it was on Twitter or Instagram or something. And it was a, uh, it was a little, one of those little pictures it has like little hearts all over it, whatever. It's super cheesy, but the, the quote was great, all right? And the quote was awesome. And I want you to hear this. It says, imagine the Christians Paul helped to kill, rejoicing as he enters heaven as their brother. That's how it works. That's how the gospel works. I'm gonna say that one more time. That's good. Imagine the Christians that Paul helped to kill, rejoicing as he enters heaven as their brother. That's how it works. You know what that is? That's Jesus. That's Jesus right there because no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, God can redeem it. God can change your past. He can, he can change the things that you've done and turn them into good. He can help you take those things that were bad and the things that were ugly and the things that you're not proud of and turn it around and help it be your testimony now so that people can find Jesus for the first time. And you know what? Even if you're still struggling in sin today, I just want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. Paul struggled. The disciples had issues. Many people in the Bible had issues over and over. The Israelites constantly, we talked about two weeks ago, or last week, the cycle that the Israelites went in where they were constantly serving the Lord. Then they'd forget about the Lord. They'd go into sin and they'd start serving other gods. They'd get wrecked by God and then they would come back. And we go through that cycle so many times in our life. But I want to encourage you today that Paul says, just a few verses later in Romans 8, he goes through all this stuff where he's frustrated about the sinful nature and, and he does, he's not doing the things that he wants to do and he's doing the things he doesn't want to do. But then in Romans 8, he says, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation anymore. When you say yes to Jesus, you are a new creature. He's saying, put off the old and take on the new. There's, there's this, this sinful nature that we all have within us. And yes, it's gonna be warring at all times, but the good news is, is that Jesus has overcome sin, death, hell, and the grave so that you can have an abundant life. You don't have to be caught up in your sin any longer, but you can live free from sin. Are we still gonna mess up every once in a while? Absolutely, but are we mastered by sin any longer? No, we're not. And what happens when you do mess up? That's the thing I think we have an issue with is, you know, like I do believe in God and I wanna share my faith with people, but every once in a while, I still got some stuff. I still mess up a little bit. Man, that's where grace comes in. That's where the grace of God comes in and it covers a multitude of sins. And the last one, so that was, I don't even have my life together, excuse number three. And the last one is number four, I'm just a regular person. I'm just a regular person. Like there's nothing special about me at all. Like I haven't done anything interesting or I don't have, you know, it's kind of like the culmination of all of these other three things kind of put all together, right? That's really what we're thinking is I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a normal girl. I can't really do anything special. You know who that sounds a little bit like? That sounds a little bit like Mary and Joseph. You know why? Because they were just normal people. We don't know much about Mary. We don't know much about Joseph other than the fact that Mary was, she found favor with God because she was a God-fearing woman. That's all we know about Mary. She didn't do anything necessarily special. She didn't have any position of power. She was just getting married to her husband, Joseph, who was just a carpenter, just a normal guy. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says that you're going to have a son He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to be the Messiah. His name's going to be Jesus. How would you feel if you got that in your bedroom? Like you're literally just trying to go to sleep at night and you're just chilling and then an angel shows up and he's like, oh, hello, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the savior of the world. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, you can only imagine what in the world she was thinking in that moment, just that average girl that was just trying to live her life for Jesus, trying to live her life for God. And, and this happens to her. You know what's so cool about Mary? This normal person, was the only person that was present at his birth and also at his death. She was the only person that was there throughout the whole thing. His whole life, she was there. And the only qualification that she had is that she was a God-fearing woman. That's the only qualification that she had. You know who this also sounds like? I'm just a regular person. To me, it sounds like the shepherds. The shepherds in the story that we just read earlier. The song that we sing, Hark the Herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn King. These angels that are coming and telling them about this Messiah, this Jesus that had been born in Bethlehem. If you know anything about shepherds, their job was not envied, okay? It was not an envious job by any means. Most people probably didn't really wanna be a shepherd. Well, what did their job look like? Why, Why is that? Because shepherds would leave their home leave the comfort of of where they lived and they would go out and actually kind of live among the flock. They actually lived with the sheep. They would go and travel with them and roam around from place to place as the sheep had to eat and and, and graze around and they would just kind of actually uh, become one of them. Even though the shepherds were humans and they were greater, right? They were obviously bigger than the sheep. They could easily kill the sheep if they wanted to. Shepherds were... Humans, they were more complex. They were more powerful than any sheep, but they kind of come to be seen as one of the flock. And, and you have to think a shepherd's job is, is pretty nasty. You know I mean? Like they're, they're, they're going around with these sheep and they're kind of nomads in a sense and they're hanging out and they're, they're getting dirty and they're in the dirt and they're eating the same things sometimes that the sheep are eating, you know, like they're eating at the same table almost as these sheep. It wasn't an envious job. And they were pretty low status in the eyes of the world. Some people would say that they, they think that they were kind of outcasts and I don't necessarily know if that's true, but we definitely know that they were low status. They weren't like a, a politician or a religious leader or a, a lawyer or anything like that that would have been thought of in high regard. It was just a blue collar, normal average job. And these guys were just regular guys with a day job. The shepherds that the angels came to visit, just working their day job, just trying to make their living. That's all they were doing. But in 1 Corinthians 1 27, there's a verse that I hold on to in my life, and I think you should too. It says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You could even say that God chose the ordinary people of the world to shame the influencers and the extraordinary people of the world. God chooses the regular people of the world like you and like me to spread his message. And the world looks to those people with status, with influence, with power, but God looks to those that have the right heart. That's what God looks at. He doesn't look at the clothes you wear, the house that you have, the things that you say, how many Instagram followers you have, how important you are in your job if you're a CEO. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about is who you are inside, Do you have the right heart? Do you have faith in God? That's the kind of stuff that God looks for. Can I work with you? Can I mold you? Can I shape you into somebody, man, that can take my message and carry it into the world? The world might say that you don't have high status, but God can use you to change the trajectory of somebody's eternal life forever. And life isn't about how many people know your name, but it's about how many people know his name because of you. That's what life is really about. Life isn't about how many people know my name. I don't care. I just wanna make sure that every person that I come across that I can, I tell about Jesus. When I get to heaven one day, I wanna make sure that there's a crowd of people that come around me and say, hey, when you preach that message or when you talked to me in the store that one time or when you were at that youth camp, when you were only 19, 18 years old and you were leading worship and..." And then you talked to me at the altars. I was just a middle schooler at the time and that was the first time I gave my life to Jesus. And I just wanna say, thank you. I want that to be my story. What is your story gonna be when you get to heaven? How many people are gonna be able to say, you know what? I know Joseph talked to me about Jesus. I know Tobin talked to me about Jesus. I know Kevin talked to me about Jesus. I know Lindsay. talked to me about Jesus. And all these people that are around you, those are gonna be the people that you hold on to forever. Man, that's awesome. The Bible says, in our weakness, he is made strong. So don't worry about being weak. Don't worry about not having it all together. Let God add his extra to your ordinary. Let him add it. Let him tack on his super to your natural. Come on, man, I'm telling you, then you'll see how God can use a regular, average person like yourself to share the good news of Jesus to your family, your friends, your coworkers, and your neighbors, amen? Amen? Would you stand with me today? Come on. I hope this has encouraged you today. I know we talked about the four excuses that we make, but listen, this isn't about saying what we're doing wrong. This is about calling us into doing something right, calling us into doing more for Jesus than you ever thought that you could do before. I'm trying to make sure that you realize that, listen, you're not alone in the things that you've thought before. You're not alone in these things that we say to ourselves. There's other people even just in the Bible, right? Just in the Bible, we can see people that thought and felt those same exact things. The Bible describes Jesus as the good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. What does that mean? Remember I told you what the, jobs, uh, the job of a shepherd was? Well, Jesus also left his home and lived among us in our earthly environment. He got in the dirt and the mud. He came down to this earth and hung out with us, same people. He took on skin and blood and, and bones He took on the same temptations that you and I face. It says actually that he struggled with a lot of the same things. The Bible says that Jesus was angry at some points. He was frustrated, that he was sad, that he was tempted by the same things that you and I are tempted with. But you know what's the great thing about Jesus? Is that he never, ever messed up. And he's the perfect example for you and for me to live by that we can see, hey, this is the goal. This is what I'm going towards. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because the Bible says that he was leave the 99 sheep to go find the one, to go find the person that's lost, to go find the person that needs help, that needs Jesus. He will go after those people. And then he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me so that we could have life. So what I wanna do today is if there's somebody in here and you say, you know what? I just need to give my life back to Jesus. I haven't been in church in a while, or I just, you know, I have some things in my life that I haven't been serving God and I need to rededicate my life to Jesus today. Listen, I'm telling you, he loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And I'm telling you, if you will say yes to Jesus, you will have a hope and a freedom and a life that is more abundant than you could ever imagine on your own. So what I wanna do right now is have everybody bow their heads, close their eyes. And if there's someone in this room today, you say, you know what, that's me. I would like to to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'd like to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And I feel his presence on me right now. I feel his presence moving right now. And I just feel like I want to say yes to what God is doing right now. Would you just raise your hand at me? I just want to see you. No one looking around. Thank you. I see you out there. I see you. Amen, amen, amen. Is there anyone else? I'd encourage you to say, yes, I see you back there. Come on, that's great. That's great, that's great. You know what? Can we give a big just round of applause right now for these people? I know at least two people that just raised their hand and said they wanna rededicate or give their life to Jesus. Man, that is amazing. You know what, I wanna pray with you and everybody in this room, I want us to pray together so that we can encourage these people and their step of faith that they're taking right now. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I say yes to you today. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me, God, when I've done wrong. And Lord, help me today to make you the king of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, let's give a round of applause. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm so glad. To those of you that made that decision today, listen, I believe now that all of us in here today are Christ followers. I would sure hope that you are. If you made that decision, this is great. Uh, And so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna talk about what we can do about telling people about Jesus. We've talked about all these excuses, all these things that we've made. You know, we're not gonna do that anymore, right? So this is what we're gonna do. Just like the angels singing glory to God in the highest, they came down to these shepherds. And what did the shepherds do? They went to Bethlehem and they found Jesus. And when they did, they went and told everybody that they could. We need to tell people that the best gift that the world has ever seen is here. He is alive and his name is Jesus. And he has hope for you and he has hope for the world. That's what we're going to do. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is tell somebody about Jesus during this Christmas season. Tell somebody Make it a point to tell somebody about Jesus. I know we get caught up maybe in the church world and in in, in the four walls, but listen, go out. And if you're not living out in the world, man, go make some friends that don't believe in Jesus, all right? Go hang out with some people that are not Christians. Why? Because that's how we influence people for Jesus. That's how we do it. Tell somebody about Jesus. And the second thing is invite somebody to church. Invite somebody to Christmas at Radical. I believe that there's gonna be many, many people that will come in that, that need to hear a message of hope during that Christmas, during those Christmas services and on Christmas Eve as well. So invite somebody to church. There's a LifeWay study that was done. It should be up on the screen here. 82% of unchurched people would come to church if they were invited by a friend or coworker. That's not church people. That is people that do not go to church. That was done a few years ago, but eight, oh, it's more than eight out of 10 people that are not going to church right now, say that they would come if somebody close to them invited them. Here's the sad part. The second half of that is that only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. Only 2%. Man, there's eight out of 10 people that would be willing to come and check out a church, willing to come see what it's all about, but only 2% of us are actually getting out there and meeting people in the world and inviting them to church inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. How sad is that, right? So listen, instead of making excuses now, we're gonna say yes to Jesus. We're gonna carry it. We're not gonna be worried about what to say. We're not gonna be worried that we're not pastors. We're not gonna be worried that we don't have it all together. We're not gonna be worried that we're just regular people because those are the same people that God uses throughout all of history to advance his message. So the thing that I tell our team all the time is, our our, our RAD team, and if you haven't joined the RAD team, you can join it. You come to Growth Track. you can join the RAD team and and get in and make a difference with people. Come on, Alec is excited back there. He's getting it. What's up, what's up? He loves being on the rad team, all right. Uh, But listen, I tell him all the time, who is your one? Who is your one person that today you can talk to about God? Who is your one person that as you go through church here today, as you go throughout the week, the one person that God is highlighting or, or pointing out to you that you can tell about Jesus? And so I would encourage you as well with that. Throughout this week, as you go to work and as you go through this Christmas season, who is the one? And as you reserve your Christmas tickets, which I want you to do, uh, if we can even put that up on the screen, uh, the, the Christmas service times, you have to go online and reserve those Christmas tickets. And this is what I want you to do. I'm gonna challenge you today. Reserve some extra tickets for the people that you're going to invite reserve some extra tickets for the people that you're going to invite and that are going to say yes. Amen. You know what that is? That's called having some faith, people. (laughs) That's what that is. Have some faith that when you say yes to what God has called you to do, you say yes to inviting somebody to church and to spreading the gospel, man, that they're going to respond to that. So get some extra tickets. You know what? And then I believe that they're going to say yes. They're going to come and their life is going to be changed. Whether it's family, friends, co-workers, whatever it might be, invite them to Christmas at Radical and make sure that you remember throughout this next week, the next few weeks, who is your one? Will you commit to doing that with me throughout this Christmas season? Can we do that together? Amen. Amen.